Thanks for joining us on the Oasis Church Podcast. To find out more about Oasis, visit CelebrateTheJourney.org. During this episode, Pastor Dennis Ritchie shares a great message that will lead you to new and deeper levels with Jesus Christ. So open up a Bible, grab a notebook, or simply listen along. Sheep are very interesting critters. Let me give you some fun facts about sheep. Studies have shown that sheep carry emotional baggage. I'm not sure how they figured that out, but it's on the internet, so it must be true. They are very independent animals, and yet they're very social. They can get jealous of each other. They grieve the loss of family, and mothers are very attached to their young. They are prone to wander away from the flock. Even though they're mainly timid, they can be extremely stubborn. They experience emotions, fear, anger, rage, despair, boredom, happiness. They know how to self-medicate, meaning when they're sick, they know what plants and the things to eat that will make them feel better. When they're on their back, when they lay down, and if they roll onto their back, they cannot write themselves, and so they need help in writing themselves. If there was ever an argument against just this full-blown evolution, um, sheep would be kind of standing in the face because they are not surviving as the fittest. Their wool will grow continually. It will never, it won't stop. There was an instance where... um, A sheep was so overgrown with wool, it could no longer walk. And when it went to be sheared, they took 89 pounds of wool off of one sheep. And it's estimated that one pound of wool can make up to 10 miles of yarn. (laughs) Says those who knit in the back. Um, they do have moments of stupidity because they're, they, they follow the leader. In 2005, I found a story online that took place in Turkey where over 1,500 sheep fell to their death. It seemed that one, they were all following, and one went off the cliff, and they just continued to go off the cliff one by one. The shepherds couldn't get there in time, and so they lost an entire flock because they just kept falling off. Unfortunately, in the Bible, there are many times that the Bible calls us sheep. And God is our shepherd. It refers to us as a flock. No. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. Then your people, the sheep of your pastor pasture will praise you forever from generation to generation we will proclaim your praise and then again see the sovereign lord comes with power and he rules with a mighty arm see his reward is with him is this the right verse yeah He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young 
who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and with the breath of his hand marked off the heavens. And then in Ezekiel, you are my sheep, the sheep of my pasture, and I am your God, declares the sovereign Lord. And there are many, many other scriptures in the Bible that speak of God as our shepherd, Jesus as our shepherd, and we are his flock. The flock, his flock, we belong to him. But within our westernized mentality, we've kind of lost the depth and the imagery and the meaning of what the shepherd-sheep relationship is. And so things like this would have been made very clear and understood in the ancient eastern um, culture. A shepherd would tend his flock for many, many years. In fact, many of the flocks um, back in the ancient times, in the Bible times, they weren't used for food, though some were, but they were mainly used for, for wool. And so the shepherd was with his flock pretty much 24-7. Their life depended on the shepherd. In fact, there's no greater tragedy in all of the ancient Eastern mindset than the image of a flock of sheep without a shepherd. And this is why Jesus, Jesus used this in Matthew. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. This is a very big deal in the ancient time. To see sheep without a shepherd would mean that those sheep would eventually all die. As we're working through these I am revelations of of Jesus, the next one comes in the context of a whole teaching on shepherds and sheep and sheep gates and sheep pens. And in John chapter 10, let's see if I got these in the right order. This is not playing nice today. John chapter 10, verse 11, it says, I am the good shepherd. These are the words of Jesus. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. But again, this comes with a lot on the front end and a lot on the back end. And Jesus is taking this whole image of sheep and shepherd. And he wants to teach us some biblical, spiritual truth. And he's going to use this example To communicate to the crowd that he is ultimately the good shepherd. Now, the thing that we can't do is we can't just take this verse out of context. And so we want to, again, it's in the middle of the chapter. And so what I want to do is I want to put it into context and I want to go right through this chapter so we can fully understand what Jesus is talking about. So the beginning, John chapter 10, verse 1 through 6, he said, Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, now he's speaking to the religious leaders. Anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought Out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. In the Jewish tradition, Eastern culture, ancient, 
Sheep were kept in two kinds of, of pens. If the shepherd was out of the village, out of the town, the, the sheep uh, pen, the, the, the corral, would be kind of a makeshift setup. It would be uh, low, very low walls. It would be rocks kind of around, uh, maybe sticks and thorn bushes on top of those rocks, and a very, very narrow opening so that the sheep can come in and out. The shepherd would put them in in the evening. Now, if that shepherd was coming into his town or a village, the sheepfold would be much bigger. It would be much bigger because it's going to house different flocks. And so many different shepherds with many different flocks would use this sheepfold. Now, the walls were more secure. They were higher. And usually there was a hired gatekeeper that watched the gates making sure that nothing went in that wasn't supposed to go in and nothing came out that was not supposed to come out. And so this person was, was hired. Now, this is the image that Jesus is using in his example. This is the image of the communal sheepfold. Now, imagine all of these flocks are together and they're wandering around. They're all mixed up. And all the shepherd has to do in order to get his sheep to come is to go to the gatekeeper. The gatekeeper will open the door and the shepherd will begin to, to sing like, like, a, like, like almost a melody that only his sheep will respond to. And as he sings, he doesn't have to go in, he doesn't have to look around, he doesn't have to pick out his sheep. All he does is stand at the gate. And as he sings, the sheep know his voice, and they are the only ones that come out. And as they come out, the shepherd will lead, not push from behind, but lead his sheep out to pasture. Pasture. I'm going to get that word right. In verse 3, Jesus says that the sheep listen to his voice. Sheep may be intellectually challenged a bit, but they have, they know the voice of their shepherd and they will not deviate. They will not go to a stranger. Now in here it says that this this, um, shepherd calls his sheep by name. It was very common because of this relationship, this intimacy as a shepherd with his sheep, and because they weren't usually dinner, that the shepherd would name the sheep. And he would name the sheep by characteristics that he saw in the sheep. And so this one could be grumpy, this one could be black ears, this one could be shorty, whatever it is. But what Jesus is getting at is that he calls us by name. He knows our name. Now, in the scripture, when it talks about name, it's talking about everything you are. All that, all that makes you up, Jesus knows. But I have to wonder, like, when it, when it says name, I, I wonder, and I have no biblical um, text to back this up in any way, but I was just thinking, I wonder if God has a very special, sacred, only he knows name for each one of us. That he calls out. And it only resonates with us in our spirit. A name that we don't know. Again, I, there's nothing in the Bible that would make me think that or see that. But I, was just, I just thought that we are known by God the Father and Jesus by our name. And it goes way beyond just, just knowing who we are. Look what John writes in 
verses 14 and 15. I am the good shepherd, Jesus said. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay my life down for the sheep. Jesus knows us as well as God knows Jesus and he knows the Father. That has to be one of the most powerful revelations in all of Scripture. Think about it for a minute. How intimate Jesus and the Father are. And the Father and Jesus. They, they, they are two, distinctly two, and yet they are one in the same. There's a depth of intimacy and knowledge that we just aren't going to be able to fully understand in our humanness. Jesus knows the Father The Father knows Jesus, and in the same way, that same intimacy, we are known. Beyond what we understand, beyond what we can verbalize with words, there can be no knowledge more intimate than the knowledge that Jesus has for the Father. And there is no knowledge more intimate and complete than knowledge of Jesus that he has with us. It goes deep into who we are. It goes deep into what we are. It goes to the depths of, of, of it, goes be, it goes beyond our birth. It goes beyond our physicalness. Look what the psalmist writes in Psalm 139. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. God knows you before you were ever born. At the beginning of creation, before the beginning of creation, God knew that you would be sitting in this building today celebrating Abigail's dedication. Imagine that. Jesus knows our past, every second of it. And as one of his own, for those who have put their faith in Christ, he has forgiven all of those things that need to be forgiven. He knows our present, all of the things that we're struggling with, all of the things that we're longing for, all of our brokenness, all of our hurts, all of our joys. He knows things about you right now that you don't even know about yourself. Things that you've forgotten. And he knows your future. And exactly what you will go through. And he calls us by name. And then, you know, I was thinking about this name thing. You know, that that special name that God has for me that nobody else has. Like, there's a lot of Dennis's in the world. But imagine if God has a name for me that's special. But then on the flip side of that, as I was thinking... Well, if, God, if the shepherd names the sheep by the characteristics of the sheep, whew, could, could you imagine like, like him calling us by names that lovingly, but names that we might not fancy like, oh, that's the bald one over there and that's grumpy and um, that's my son Dopey over there. I mean, I'm, just, I'm just thinking. I, I, I don't, again, I have no biblical backup for that, but, but my mind just kind of, Go, I, I want to land on the side that he has that special name that nobody knows about that only speaks to my own spirit. So not only does the shepherd know us, intimately know us, but we know him. It says that the sheep know the shepherd's voice. I really believe that we know 
Christ better than we give ourselves credit for. I really believe that Satan, our enemy, whispers in our ear lies that keeps us from engaging the fullness of what we already have and who we already know. He wants to keep us believing that we're distant from Christ, that we don't know, we'll never be able to know. But we do because we are connected to Christ like the Father and Jesus are connected. That intimacy, that knowing. And it's foundational. It's a foundational relationship for who we are, how we live our lives. That's our identity. Who you are in Christ is your identity. Not your job, not your position in society, not being a mom, not being a dad, not being an uncle. Who you are in Christ is your true identity. And all that other stuff is meaningful, but it's not who you are. And the Pharisees, they just didn't get this. They're missing the connection. And Jesus is going to go on. Therefore, Jesus said again, very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Jesus makes this claim that he is the gate. Not just the gatekeeper, but he is the gate. Gates are used to keep things in. Gates are used to keep things out. Gates are used to exit and enter. They swing open and closed. Jesus is a living gate. And if we want to gain entrance into his fold, into his flock, then we pass through him and him only. And there we will be saved. And then he opens the gates so we can leave that fold in safety, knowing that the shepherd is watching over us. And we can live a life of abundance. We go in, we go out. We don't just stay in the sheep pen. Sometimes I I, I think of church as the sheep pen and all the sheep we get together and and we, bah, while we're here. (laughs) But we leave this place. It's what David wrote in Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I don't lack anything. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. We leave that gate and we go out into life in an abundant life. Jesus provides what we need to live a whole life, a healthy life. We have a good shepherd that is out front leading us, leading us into, into the direction of, of, of um, abundant life, of leading a good life, a life that has eternal consequences. The words I spoke over Mark and Tiffany this morning, they are setting in motion, generations of God lovers. All parents who teach their children the ways of the Lord are setting in motion generations. Long when we're dead and gone, our great, 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 great grandchildren, by God's grace, will continue on in the gospel. So we go out and he calls us and we live this life of abundance.
And then we come to verse 11. This is the first time that Jesus will use this in this text. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is the hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Again, he says, I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep. They know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. Now, remember, he's talking to the Pharisees. He's talking to Jews. And now he's referring to us. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice. And there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I receive from my father. When we read that verse in Matthew chapter 9, when it said he looked at the crowds and he had compassion on them. That word compassion in the original language, it's a word that, that means that um, like Jesus felt something in his gut. Like there was this churning in, in, in his stomach. It, it was something physical that he felt as he looked out and he saw all these people harassed like sheep without a shepherd. Now, the hired hand, the hired shepherd, really doesn't care about the sheep. When danger comes, he runs. He doesn't want to give his life for a bunch of sheep that aren't his. There's no emotional connection. But for Jesus, the good shepherd, we are his possession. We are not only sheep under his care, we are owned by him. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 that we are not our own, but we were bought at a price. We are his in every context of ownership. And it says that he will lay down his life for us. It's a deep sacrificial love. He lays down his life only to take it up again. And he does it freely. He was never forced to do it. He does it out of that deep, churning compassion for the sheep that are lost, those sheep that have gone astray. In the scripture, we know that the shepherd will leave the 99 to look for one lost and rejoice when it's found. That's the heart of Jesus. This is our good shepherd. Every day Jesus walked this earth was a day committed to us committed to showing us the way, showing us the kingdom of God, showing us who God is until that day came when he would make the ultimate sacrifice and give his life for us. No one forced him. No one took his life. He gave it freely. I think about uh, the scripture where it talks about him being in the garden on the night he was betrayed and, and all the soldiers coming and they've got clubs and they've got swords and, and there's this big commotion and the soldiers think they finally captured Jesus. They finally caught up with him, and they finally got a hold of him. It's furthest from the truth. Jesus gave himself over to them to fulfill what the Father said, to fulfill what the Father called him to do. 
He gave himself. He gave his life so that we can have life. He went to the enemy and fought for us. Our good shepherd. Our savior. Our redeemer. Charles Spurgeon, he, uh, he preached a sermon in 1885 about kind of the good shepherd laying down his life for the sheep. And, and um, <laughs> I was reading through it this week. It's, it's about... 12 pages long. That boy can preach, let me tell you what. And this is what he said about Jesus in that sermon. I'm going to read it verbatim. There is more in Jesus, the good shepherd, than you can pack away in a shepherd. He is the good, the great, the chief shepherd, but he's much more. Emblems set him forth may be multiplied as the drops of the morning, but the whole multitude will fail to reflect his brightness. Creation is too small a frame in which to hang his likeness. Human thought too contracted, human speech too feeble to set him forth to the full. When all the emblems in earth and heaven shall have described him to their utmost, there will remain something not yet described. You may square the circle before you can set forth Christ in the language of mortal men. He is inconceivably above our conceptions, utterably above our utterances. When Jesus was hanging on the cross, he knew you by name. He knew that you would be born one day and that you would sin. And out of that compassion, he said, I give my life. For her, for him, for Dennis, for Dopey and Grumpy. His love was so great that he gave his life so that we can have life. Not only life eternally, but something of abundance here. A life that matters A life that matters not only for us, but a life that matters to others and a life that matters um, into eternity. We all have this purpose that God has spoken over us, injected into us. And it's his deepest desire that we would follow his son in the context of that purpose. That's why it is so important, so important. That the church go outside of this sheep pen and bring the light of Christ to communities that are in such in desperate need. There are so many people that are wandering, lost, and broken. They would never admit it. On the outside, they look good. Two cars in the garage, TV in every room, and four computers with an iPad and an iPhone 10. But inside, man, there's something missing. We know the shepherd, and the shepherd knows us. Last week, Jesus said, you are the light of the world. You don't hide the light. You don't hide a light under, under a box. You take it out so it gives light to the whole house. We are a city on a hill. My prayer is that we as a church would continually remember that 
that we exist not for our own comfort, not for our own stuff, not to be just what's in this for me, but that we would be about God's mission and for God's glory. We know the shepherd. And we can go out and we can share the shepherd. Father, I pray that you would um, strengthen our church to understand that it's not about us. But it's about those that are lost. Give us that compassion, that churning in our gut for the lost. That whether they're throwing stones or speaking words against us, it doesn't matter because we are about your business. We are for your, on your mission and we're for your glory. So go before us. Come behind us and give us the nudge that we need. May we give away what we have so generously begin, been given in Christ. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 I love you guys. Uh, welcome in to the, all the guests here this morning for the brilliance. Um, it's good to see some of you that I haven't seen in a long time. And uh, go in peace. Go in grace. And remember, when you go out those doors, without being too cliche, you enter into the mission fields. Amen. Amen. Amen.